Well, uh, I'm really glad to be up here right now because when we were planning this these sermons, Isaac told us that me and Luke both had 20 minutes, and I was almost certain that what Luke Proctor heard was, I have 40 minutes and Monty's got whatever's left over. So I'm really glad to be up here right now. And before I say anything else this morning, um, I should say that this sermon on prayer is coming from someone who is not always that good at prayer. I mean, it's not that I don't pray, but... I pray for a friend of mine and, and I'll be there praying. I'll be thinking about what they've asked me to pray about. And as I'm, as I'm sitting there, I start thinking about the conversation we had that led me to pray this prayer, which leads me to think about other things we talked about in that conversation. I'm pretty sure I'm like, why do I have my hands like this again? Oh yeah, I was praying. Okay. I've tried journaling, but I have awful handwriting. So any attempt I've ever made at journaling has lasted about three days. And then I've gotten sick of my own handwriting and I just give up. I've tried journaling on my laptop, but there's something in me that thinks if I'm writing on my laptop, I must be writing a paper. And then spell check starts correcting my grammar. I'm like, no, spell check, I'm praying. Like, you can't get mad at my grammar right now. I'm praying. (laughs) Stop it. So prayer prayer can be difficult. I I try to pray while I'm driving, but cars don't really appreciate it when you pass them and your head's bowed and your eyes are closed. So, (laughs) So prayer doesn't always come easy for me. There's a lot of periods in my life that I could summarize by quoting the old hymn. I'm not going to sing it for the greater good of everyone in this room, but the old hymn that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. This idea of be still and pray is a really good sermon title. And it's really hard to practice. And if you're like me, if I just described your prayer life, I hope I can encourage you this morning. I hope I can encourage you to be a person who is more intentional about seeking God in prayer. And if you're not like me, if you are a great prayer warrior, praise God for that. And and if you just listen to everything I just said, and right now you're thinking, well, if this guy is so bad at prayer, why are they letting this loser preach this sermon? And the first thing I would say to that is, well, you got a point. But, But the second thing I would say is that I hope I can encourage you to continually continually seek God in prayer. Because if you're a Christian, you've been called to pray. And it's only through intimacy with God, through prayer, that we're able to carry out the things God has called us to. My favorite gospel is the gospel of Mark. And the reason for that is that more than any other gospel, Mark is the gospel where the disciples are failures. They mess up time and time again. They don't understand Jesus. Right up until the very end of the gospel, they don't know what's going on. And church tradition tells us that the gospel of Mark was written based off of notes that Mark took on Peter's sermons. And so I find great comfort in the fact that the gospel written from Peter's point of view is the gospel with the most failures by the disciples. And that's not an excuse for any of us, for the disciples or for us. It's not an excuse for me to be okay with a, a prayer life that sometimes struggles. But, but I take comfort in that. Not because it gives me the excuse to stay where I am, but because I know the rest of the story. And I know that the story doesn't end with the disciples not understanding Jesus. There's redemption for people that don't always understand what Jesus is saying. There's hope for people who try to do things on their own. The story doesn't end with Mark, but it extends into spiritual maturity. And so in this, in this sermon this morning, I want to begin in Mark chapter 9. I want to look at a couple verses there and then jump over to the book of Acts. And in both of these passages, we're going to see the disciples in a situation greater than their abilities can handle. 
but their reaction to those two situations are drastically different. And so I want to, I want to look at what changed between these two events. And I can't pinpoint a verse or a thing that Jesus said that definitively shows us what changed, what caused them to change. But something happened between Mark 9 and Acts chapter 4 in the life of the disciples. And I want to look at that this morning and hopefully we can take comfort in how we are called to pray. Because in the midst of something greater than our own abilities, the only solution is prayer. We're going to be, this passage in Mark chapter 9 is right after the Mount of Transfiguration. And you might remember this story where, where the disciples, or where Peter, James, and John come down the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And they come down and, and they come upon the other nine disciples being surrounded by religious scribes and Pharisees. And, and they're being questioned because they're not able to cast a demon out of, out of this boy. And so Jesus casts the demon out and, and the situation kind of dies down. And in Mark 9 verses 28 to 29, we're told, After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he replied, this kind could come out only by prayer. Jesus and the disciples leave this scene, and the disciples, I'm sure, have their tail between their legs, especially the other nine. And they go into a house, and their question here is an honest one. Because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave them the authority to cast out demons. And in, also in Mark chapter 6, we are told that they actually do cast out demons. This, this wasn't like they were doing something they had never done before. But something had changed. And they're trying to figure out what had happened. Had their magic ran out? Had they, had they not used the right formula this time? What, what was going on? And Jesus tells them, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. And that seems a little, a little cryptic because Jesus doesn't pray before he casts out this demon. And, and so I, that seems a little confusing. But, and so it looks like maybe what Jesus is actually saying is that this ministry can only be carried out through a life of prayer. Casting out demons in Jesus' day typically involved uh, having someone who is really powerful, who is able to say the right formulas, who is able to manipulate the right spiritual powers so that, so that they could cast out demons. But in this moment, Jesus isn't concerned with the abilities of the disciples. He's not concerned with the fact that they have the magic words. He's concerned, he's concerned about their life of prayer. He's concerned about the intimacy that they have with God. Because Jesus is preparing the disciples ultimately for the day when he won't be there. And when the mission of the church will be up to them and their ministry. And it is beyond their abilities. At this point, it looks like the disciples are trusting in their own abilities or on the authority Jesus gave them a few chapters back. More than they're trusting in their intimate daily life with God. And if the disciples are going to continue what Jesus is starting, it is absolutely important that that mindset be fixed. And that the ministry of the disciples be based on the intimacy they have with the Father. Because ministry is about being called to things beyond your abilities. My guess is a lot of people in this room have experienced that already. And if you haven't, I am willing to bet that you're going to experience that situation sooner rather than later. And when those moments come, it can be really easy to think about how good you are at things. It can be really easy to focus on your own abilities. It can be really easy to think back to that A you got on your principles project or, or whatever that might be for you and think back to the things you're good at and try to do things by your own abilities. But the only solution in those situations, just like it was for the disciples, was a life of prayer. I've been preaching at a little church for a little over a year now and as I was thinking 
through this over the past couple weeks. Um, I don't have the official numbers on this, but my guess is that if I made a list of the 10 sermons I've preached in the past year that have been the most warmly received, I've gotten the most positive feedback from the congregation after church, my guess is that list wouldn't be the same list as the list of the 10 sermons that I felt best about before I preached them. They're not the ones where I've got a really impressive outline, I've got alliterations, I've, I've got really catchy illustrations, a cool title, some really sweet looking graphic to throw up on the screen. Those aren't the sermons that have been the best. It's been the Sundays where I've felt unprepared. It's been the Sundays where I've had to scramble Friday and Saturday night to, to put something together that just somewhat resembles a coherent thought, something like that. It's been those sermons where I got nothing unless the Holy Spirit does something. That, that those sermons have resonated. And I don't think that's an excuse for me to not prepare for sermons. It might give me some more free time, but it might uh, hurt my sermon qualities. But, but I think it does tell me that my ministry isn't dependent on my own abilities. It's dependent on God. We're not, input, we're not put in situations beyond our ability so that we can show how impressive we are. Or find some magic bullet that's going to work every single time. We'll only be able to make it in those situations if our approach behind it is a life of prayer. An intimate life of communion with the Father. But the good news for the disciples, the good news for us is that Mark chapter 9 isn't the end of the story. In Acts, they figure it out. And this passage in Acts chapter 4 is right after Peter and John have stood before the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin have, have told them that this healing of a lame beggar they've done and, and preaching the gospel, they can't do that anymore. They cannot preach the name of Jesus any longer. And they leave that, that trial, and they come back, and I'm going to read Acts chapter 4 verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I just want to pull a couple things out of here about how this same group of people has been transformed and how they have come to another situation that is beyond their abilities, but they approach it differently. And the first thing we see in this prayer is that they start with who God is. This prayer begins with focusing on God's status as sovereign over the entire world. They start by reminding themselves that these authorities that have just threatened them if they continue to preach the gospel are not more powerful than the God that they are serving by preaching the gospel. This word that is translated sovereign Lord is the Greek word that we get our English word despot from. It is the Greek word for someone who has unchallengeable authority. And that is how, this is how the first believers describe God in the face of being told to stop preaching the message of Jesus. They look at him as sovereign over all. 
You will never be in a situation that is outside the sovereignty of God. Like Luke just said, God is with us. And because that is true, we should live differently. We should pray differently. That's an extremely freeing thing. Sometimes the thing holding us back the most is that we don't live as if the things we believe about God are actually true. And in situations beyond our abilities, we're not to focus on our abilities. We're to focus on who God is. We should remind ourselves of things that are true about God and then live in light of those truths. And when we do that, our focus turns from what we are able to do towards what God is capable of doing through us. And the second thing we see is that the apostles see what they are going through as continuing what was started by Jesus. In the course of their prayer, they look back to Psalm 2 and they see how Jesus fulfilled this psalm with the powers of the world lined up against him and the goal of destroying him. And now these these exact same powers, these same people who very shortly before had condemned Jesus to death are now telling them to stop preaching the message of the resurrection. And they don't ask that this cup pass from them. Just like Jesus, the the disciples ask that they are able to continue what Jesus started through spreading the message of the gospel, even in in the face of this opposition. They ask that... They ask God that just as he did in the ministry of Jesus, that that they will be able to do the same things through the power of Jesus for the glory of God. And the ministry that we do is simply continuing what Jesus started. A life of prayer brings us into that intimate relationship with God. It reminds us that we are not alone, that we're not, that the world isn't dependent upon us being able to handle this situation. We aren't just making it up as we go, but, but we are doing ministry in step with the Holy Spirit as we continue to advance the kingdom of God because it's not our kingdom. It's not completely dependent upon how, on how talented and cool and smart and impressive we are or on who you were mentored by. It is dependent upon the work of God. We are going to do ministry apart from a life that is characterized by prayer that reminds us of who God is and reminds us of our place in the kingdom. And as simple as it sounds, I think the message of scripture is pretty clear that we've been called to pray. And in situations beyond our abilities, we've been called to a life of prayer. And I don't say that to make everyone in this room feel bad and that you're going to go about your day this afternoon thinking like, oh, I need to pray more because that's what the sermon was about. Um, I'm not calling you to fulfill some obligation, but but I am saying that Because you're a follower of Jesus, and especially if you are in ministry or going into ministry, you've been called to pray. And God is going to call you to things beyond your abilities. He's going to call you to things that you can't handle by your own whatever you want to fill in the blank with. And when those moments come, God isn't expecting us to be really impressive. That might be what our culture is impressed by. That might be what we are impressed by in others, but it's just not biblical. God calls us to pray. We're never going to be able to do the things God calls us to unless we have an intimate relationship with God in prayer. A friend of mine yesterday told me that um, I've ne- I haven't actually preached on prayer unless I quote Tim Keller. And so let me close today um, with an analogy from Tim Keller. Uh, in his book on prayer, he uses, he steals an analogy from, from Ole Halsby, a Norwegian theologian. 
to explain a life of prayer. And he compares prayer to mining as it was when he was growing up in Norway in the early 20th century. And, and what they would do to create mine shafts is, is um, there would be long periods of time where deep holes are being bored into rock with great effort. To bore these holes deeply enough at the most strategic spots for removing the most rock possible was, was work that took patience, it took steadiness, it took a great deal of skill. And once those holes were finished, the dynamite was placed down in those holes and a fuse was connected to it and, and lit and there would be a lot of commotion. There would be noise, there would be rocks flying in every direction. And now these miners, I guess if they wanted to, they could place that dynamite next to the rock, on top of the rock, um, whatever they, they might try and, and light it and, and hope for the best. But, but that would never do as much good as it could do without being placed deep down into that rock. And prayer, our life of prayer, is boring. And I mean that in both senses of the word. It's hard work. It can be painstaking. It requires patience. It requires steadfastness. It it seems like a waste of time, but our life of prayer is doing that work of boring holes deep down into rock so that we can do more than we ever could do by our own power. We're called to be still and pray because we can never do the work God has called us to on our own. We can only do it by living a life of in, uh, living a life that is continually being molded by an intimate relationship with God Himself through prayer. So, whatever you do the rest of this semester, whatever you do in the coming months, whatever you do in your life, I ask you to pray. I ask you to be still and pray. I ask you to remind yourself constantly of who God is, to trust in his sovereignty so that God can use you for things greater than you could ever do by your own power. So with that in mind, let's pray. God, you are good. And God, you have made us your people. We thank you for that. And God, we want to be people that you use for incredible things to advance advance your kingdom all over the world. And so, God, we want that to start with a life of prayer. Help us be people who, who are constantly walking in intimacy with you, to constantly be reminded of who you are and how near you are, Lord. Right, through Jesus, I pray. Amen.